Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Jim Morrow. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode, episode number 35 of To Your Health. We're glad to have you. I'm here in my office, in my remote studio still. John Ray, our producer, is at home in his remote studio, which I have to say looks a whole lot more like a studio than my studio does. John, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? <laughs> Happy birthday, old. Dr. Jim Morrow. I'm it's old. <laughs> How do you like that? I love that version. That's a great arrangement of happy birthday. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes. I picked that out just today. I picked that out just I picked that out just for you. Sorry to interrupt you. I picked that out just for you because I know you love the guitar. I do love the guitar. Yeah. I absolutely do. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm blessed to be sixty six years old today. Um my body is sixty six. My brain still thinks it's forty six and sometimes that's a problem. But I've had a wonderful birthday already, a lot of great birthday greetings, and I appreciate this one very, very much. Um, that is a great arrangement, by the way. So, yeah, today, June 24th, I'm 66 years old, um, but I'm not the oldest person in my family. I have a sister that's two years older than I am, but nobody ever forget that. So, <laughs> Happy birthday. We're back with a yeah. thank you. Yeah. We're back with another episode of To Your Help. We're very thankful that you'll join us and and listen to what I have to say and hopefully learn a little bit about medicine. Uh, today we're going to learn a little bit about what you might have thought about medicine that might have been wrong or what medicine might have thought that might have been wrong. But before I get to that, I want to remind everybody, whatever app you're listening to, uh, hit the subscribe button so that you can be reminded every time we have a new episode. And also, uh, if you have a, an idea for a topic or if you have a comment, anything at all, please either tweet me at TouYourHealthMD or email me at uh, DrJim, DrJim, at TouYourHealth.MD. So uh, today I'm going to start off with a very brief coronavirus update. There's really not a whole lot that's changed about the coronavirus since our last talk. Um, the main thing is that number of cases is going up. And if that surprises you, you've probably been in a medically induced coma or something because that shouldn't surprise anybody. Memorial Day in Texas, they had pool parties and, and beach parties and such all over the state. And two weeks later, the cases started shooting up and they've gone, they're going to have a problem in Texas. Arizona and California have a problem, a, a pretty major one. But here in Georgia, where we are, cases are going up, but we're very fortunate. They're not skyrocketing, uh, but they have gone up. So as we start to, as odd as the phrase is, open up the state, uh, we're going to see that. And I think we have to get back to business. So um, I'm going to harp once more on the idea of wearing a mask. So if you go out, for the love of God, wear a mask. It's not that hard. It's very simple. It shows a sign of respect. It means you're aware of what's going on, and it might keep the person next to you from coming down with coronavirus. 
That's all I'm going to say about coronavirus today. Except that it's in part of my other part. So today we're going to talk about debunking medical myths. There are a world of them, and if we talked about all of them, it'd take the rest of the week probably. But I wanted to talk on some of the things that patients and I talk about in the exam room. You know, when you get behind the closed door in the exam room, there's no telling what's going to be said or talked about. And uh, some of it is, is this. So the first one I have listed here is the myth, and I didn't know it was a myth until I started looking this up, that flagyl or metronidazole and alcohol together will make you sick. For 35 years, when I've given people that antibiotic for diverticulitis or something else, I've said, if you as much as eat rum cake while you're taking this antibiotic, you will throw up your toenails. Well, it turns out they did a study finally, which is really what you have to do to uh, prove anything in science. They did a study. They took a whole bunch of college students. They gave them five days of flagyl or metronidazole. And on the fifth day, they got them together and got them drunk. They ended up blowing at least a 0.1 on the breathalyzer, which is above legally drunk, and nobody got sick. So next time you have diverticulitis or one of the other things we use this for, you don't need to be concerned about whether or not you drink alcohol. And I will tell you, if you drink too much alcohol, you'll throw your toenails up, but that's got nothing to do with flagell. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is one that I, am ta I talk to patients about, seems like every day, and that is that the medicine in your medicine bottle, in, in your prescription bottle, does not expire after a year. The label almost certainly says this expires whatever a year from the date you filled it is. But that doesn't mean that the medicine suddenly becomes poison or becomes inactive or disappears to dust or anything like that. What that really means is that you can no longer fill any refills from that prescription after a year. So it's really the prescription for the medicine that expires. It's not the medicine itself. And that's important if you get a prescription for an anti-inflammatory medicine and you don't take it all and two years later you get the same problem and you have that medicine, taking the medicine is, is not going to harm you. So that's something to remember. And I, I, I almost used antibiotics as the example there, but the truth is when you get antibiotics, you're supposed to take them all. So you shouldn't have antibiotics left over anyway, but some people do. But you don't have to worry about taking medicine that's 15 months old, 18 months old. If it hadn't been in the glove box of your car and been 120 degrees, it can be three years old and you can still take it. It's the same medication. This one I like a lot, and I talk to patients about it a lot, and that is that the coronavirus does mutate, but it does not change. And what I mean by that is, that yes, there are mutations that occur in the genome, the DNA, RNA sequence, I mean, of the coronavirus, but those changes don't change its pathogenicity, don't change its response to vaccines or any treatment we might have. So coronaviruses as a group do mutate a little bit, but they don't change like the influenza virus does. So that's something that we don't need to be concerned about, and that's a really good thing when it comes to both treatment and vaccination for the coronavirus. Speaking of vaccines, 
the myth is that vaccines can cause the flu and that they can cause autism. And that is absolutely a myth. Now, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, the flu vaccine was an inactivated or weakened virus. And it gave incredibly good immunity to the flu, but it also, in many cases, gave you a little mild case of the flu. And that's what has got many people today still saying, I won't get a flu shot because they give me the flu. And 25 years ago, they may have. It certainly was possible. But today, there's no live virus in the flu vaccine. In some of the flu vaccines, there's no virus. There's just DNA. So you don't have to worry about getting a flu shot. Every person on the planet over the age of six months should have a flu vaccine in October of every calendar year. And I refer you back to our podcast on the flu vaccine and on influenza. Uh, we talked about that at great length. So you don't need to worry about that. Now, the autism thing is a whole different story. Uh, flu vaccines, vaccines in general, any vaccine will not cause autism. It will not do it. I don't care what your friend down the street said. It won't happen. I don't care what anybody said. It doesn't happen. This whole thing started in 1998, with an article in a very good journal called The Lancet, and if you read anything about coronavirus lately, you may have read about studies in The Lancet. It's still out there. And in this study, the parents of eight kids with autism, eight, not much of a study, eight kids said they believed their children acquired their condition after receiving the MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. And so from that point, rumors just ran rampant. Despite many studies showing that it just wasn't the case, as an example, in 2002, in the New England Journal of Medicine, there was a study of 530,000 children, many more than eight, that got the vaccine, and they found no link whatsoever between that and autism. It's been proven wrong more times than you can count. It's just not the case. So don't worry about autism when you get a vaccine, and don't worry about getting the flu when you get a flu shot. Supplements always make you healthier. No, they don't. That's just not, just not the case. Vitamin supplements may not be just ineffective, but they can be dangerous. If you look at the bottle that you've got at the house of this supplement that you got from the GNC store, which you paid an arm and a leg for, it's going to say on there under the USRDA what percent of the USRDA, the recommended daily allowance, there is of that vitamin in that bottle. And a lot of them are going to say 3,000%. That's 30 times the amount that you can absorb in a day. That's why when you take that vitamin every day, your urine is so incredibly golden yellow because it's like liquid gold because your urine's expensive. And I've always said urine should be cheap. So you shouldn't be taking all these vitamins like that. There's, there's no advantage to it. If you know for a fact that you are B12 deficient, then you should probably take B12. If you know you're iron deficient, take iron. But if you're not deficient in one of these things, you're just wasting money. The only thing that gets thinner if you're taking even diet pills is your wallet. So don't do that. 
It's just not something that's, that's worth doing. There was a huge review of 20 years worth of research that was published a few years ago, I think in 2015. And these researchers found that taking high doses of vitamins could be linked, could be linked to an increased risk of cancer. And, and I know people that take all these supplements, they're doing it because they want to be healthy. I get that. Well, you certainly don't want to increase your risk of cancer, for crying out loud, or be vitamin A toxic or vitamin D toxic or something like that. So you don't need a whole bunch of supplements. It's just not necessary. Did you know that being out in the cold weather can make you sick? Oh, you, you didn't know that? That's because it's not true. Your mother told you your whole life growing up. If you go outside without a coat, you'll get sick. Well, if you go outside without a coat and you contact a cold virus, you'll get a cold. If you go outside bundled up and you contact a cold virus, you'll get a cold. It just doesn't have anything to do with it. Being cold, feeling cold, that kind of thing has nothing to do with anything. There was a study in 1968 in the New England Journal that showed what happened when people exposed chilly people to the rhinovirus. They got a cold. The same thing happened when they exposed normal temperature people to the rhinovirus. They got a cold. So one thing that happens in chilly temperatures is that bacteria don't grow so well. We know that. You have to put bacteria on a Petri dish in an incubator to get it to grow well. Well, that's 98 degrees or higher. So being cold is going to help you, if anything. I preach to people every day, it seems like, certainly during the winter, to turn the temperature down in their bedroom at night. Make it chilly in the bedroom. You breathe better. You feel better. You rest better and sleep better. It makes a whole lot of difference. So being cold doesn't make you sick. Coming in contact with germs makes you sick. Very important difference. Now, whether or not you go home and tell your mother that is up to you, but you'll probably start a big fight. I'm not sure I recommend you do that. Another myth is we only use 10% of our brains. Now, I've heard people talk about this, and they've likened it to using a program like Excel. You think you're using all these fancy parts of Excel, but if you look at the depths of the Microsoft Excel program, you're using probably about 10% of the program. And a lot of people feel like people use 10% of their brains. And actually, during this pandemic, it might actually be the case that people only use 10% of their brains because a lot of people are not using much of it. If you're wearing a mask, though, you're using like 98% of your brains. I'm happy for you there. But motivational speakers and other people like self-help gurus and that kind of thing have been promoting this idea since the early 1900s, you know, 120 years ago, uh, because they wanted people to feel like they had a lot of growth potential, that they could they could do better and that kind of thing. And then they started looking at brain scans when people are doing mental activities and they realized people use a whole lot more than 10% of the brain. Sugar turns kids into little monsters. Well, I got news for you. It's not the sugar. It can be really hard to find a parent that doesn't think this is the case, and we all know why. Uh, and there was a particularly clever study that looked at sugar's nil effect, the lack of an effect on unruliness. These kids were given Kool-Aid, but it was sweetened with aspartame, artificial sweetener. It had no sugar in it. They told the parents that the Kool-Aid was sweetened with sugar. 
half of them, and they told half of the parents the truth, that there's no sugar. And the parents that thought their kids were riding a sugar high said their kids were uncontrollable and overactive. But on the side where they said that there was no sugar, the kids were actually acting subdued, the parents said. If you think about it, though, a lot of times kids get the most sugar when they're in a social environment that's prone to more activity, like a party and so forth and so on. So a lot of sugar is not good for you, but it doesn't make you into a monster, doesn't make you hyperactive, doesn't make you go nuts. I'll take a, take a second and I want to tell you about Mara Family Medicine. Uh, we're so thrilled, I'm so thrilled to be able to work with this group of people that I do work with every day. Um, Dr. Patrick Kendrigan is a phenomenal guy to have as my partner and I'm very happy to have him here. Uh, someone tells me great, very regularly how much they enjoy him and his care, and I'm thankful to have Patrick here in the office with me. I've got three PAs, three PAs and a nurse practitioner. They are the cream of the crop. They're fantastic. Uh, they, the PAs and nurse practitioner are all female. If you want a female provider, I can promise you, you will not get better care anywhere than by one of these uh, physician assistants or nurse practitioner. We have offices in Cumming, Georgia and Milton, Georgia. We are doing telemedicine still for those people who uh, we're concerned might have the coronavirus. Uh, we are seeing people in the office with great regularity now. And the numbers have come up where people are more comfortable coming in. We're doing an interesting uh, thing when you wait for your appointment. You don't come in and wait in the waiting room. You stay in your car and we text you when it's time to come in and my nurse meets you at the door and you walk straight back to the exam room. There's no sitting around, there's no waiting, there's no hanging around other people that might be sick or that might you might get sick. So it's it's been very good and we are continuing to try to bring care back to healthcare, as we like to say. So I would invite you, if you're looking for a family physician, I would ask you to give us a try. Again, offices in Cumming in Milton, Georgia, and our phone number is 770-781-8004. So continuing with medical myths, I've got about 35 more pages here, John, so I hope we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, keep on, man. One myth is that if you get a concussion, you need to stay awake. Now, this one actually started off as being uh, a precaution for a pretty good idea, but we've learned over the years that if you get a head injury of any kind, and you're checked out, uh, think here uh, a football game, a player gets hit in the head, goes to the sideline, medical professional checks him out, seems like he might have a mild concussion, then that person doesn't need to stay awake. The, where that started was because if you get a, a, a head injury and you have certain signs, you might, though, have a period of lucidity a period where you are perfectly clear and perfectly fine, followed by basically a collapse, an, an unconscious episode. And the concern there is that you easily could have what's called a, a hematoma, an epidural hematoma, which is between the brain, the lining of the brain and the skull, and it can quickly put enough pressure on your brain to cause death. So it's a big, big deal. But that's not a concussion. That's a whole different animal. So if you have a concussion, you don't need to worry about going to sleep. In fact, you're almost certain to go to sleep because a concussion will make you extremely tired. 
extremely fatigued and it's very difficult many times after a concussive event to stay awake. So it's not something you need to do. Now, it's not the end of the world if someone's there and they check on you every hour or two just to be sure you can be aroused and let you go back to sleep. That's not a problem. That's a, a good idea. That's good parenting probably. But it's not something you have to worry about going to sleep. Did you know that chewing gum stays in your stomach for seven years? Seven years? I know people, if that was the case, that's not, by the way. And if that was the case, I know people whose stomach would be so full of chewing gum that they would not be able to eat anything. So there's just no truth to that. Gum has uh, many ingredients in it that are indigestible, but they don't stay in your stomach. They pass through like everything else. Plenty of what you eat is indigestible. I mean, if you eat a lot of fiber, that's not digestible. But the digestive system is a very interesting, amazing, really robust piece of organic machinery. And anything that it can absorb, it just moves along. So don't worry about chewing gum staying in your stomach. Now, if you, if you swallow water, watermelon seeds, you may very well have a watermelon growing out of your mouth a few months later. But chewing gum does not stay in your stomach for seven years. And the watermelon thing is not true either. I can't tell you how many times my mother told me not to read in the dark or at low light because it'll ruin my eyes. And I believed her, but it's not true. Dim light can undoubtedly make your eyes work hard, work so hard they hurt. But there's no evidence at all that it causes any long-term damage. I think this myth started back in the 60s when, at the time, it, it could have been true as far as uh, not so much the reading in the dark, but watching TV in the dark, because that's part of the same myth. If you watch TV in the dark in the 60s, those TV sets emitted a high amount of radiation. And if you're too close or get too much of that, that could have caused a problem. But for years and years, that's not been the case. So reading in the dark is not going to bother your eyes except to make them a little bit strained. And watching TV up too close is not going to ruin your eyesight unless you're watching an old tube TV that your parents had in the 1960s. If you're doing that, get a new TV. You have to wait an hour after eating before going swimming. Now, I was long since a doctor before I found out this wasn't the case. I'd probably been practicing 10 years before I found out it wasn't the case because it kind of made sense to me. You put food in your stomach, your body shunts blood to your stomach and away from your extremities to digest that food and help digest that food. And so there's not so much blood for your extremities when you start exercising, especially in the water. But it's just not the case. This is this myth has destroyed many fun picnics and summer afternoons uh, just because they were careless enough to eat a PB&J, but there's really no special reason not to swim. Uh, vigorous activity can be uncomfortable uh, after an, a big feast and also because of heat. But for most of us, the uh, waterfront dining experience includes chips and sandwiches, and that's really not a big concern. If you've ever seen a corpse months after a person passed, you might have believed this next myth, which was that fingernails and hair continue to grow after death. Now, this 
myth started because people noticed that after someone passed, the fingernails looked longer and the hair looked longer. And it turns out the reason is because of skin retraction around the nails. So there's more nail visible because of the skin being dehydrated and drying out and so forth. So the soft tissues are retracting and it makes the nail look longer and it also makes the hair look longer. I doubt it'd make my hair look any longer, certainly not any thicker though, but that's just not true. It just doesn't happen. So no matter what anybody tells you, I don't care how many dead bodies they've seen, it's not true. Hair and nails do not grow after death. Just like hair that you shave doesn't grow back any faster, doesn't grow back any coarser, it doesn't grow back any darker. It just doesn't do it. New hair grows in, you probably didn't know this, with a blunt edge on the top. It's not pointy like a lot of hair is after it's grown a bit. The edge gets worn down, and when that wears down, it makes it seem thicker than it really is. So that's a, a real piece of information you can take to your next cocktail party there, John. I know you're excited <laughs> about that. So eating, eating turkey also does not make you drowsy. It's not the turkey. And this is something else that I believe for a very long time because turkey has tryptophan. Tryptophan gets in your body, it's converted to serotonin, it's supposed to make you sleepy. Turns out it just really doesn't. And turkey's no worse than any other meat as far as the tryptophan level. What probably makes people so sleepy at Thanksgiving is not so much the turkey as it is the entire great big huge meal and maybe a few alcoholic beverages that they've consumed in a short period of time and they just basically pass out in front of the TV and uh, miss that entire football game that they're supposed to be watching. I actually had a conversation with a patient the other day about this one, which was that ulcers are caused by spicy food and stress because they were saying that when they ate tomatoes, the acid in the tomatoes hurt their stomach. And the acid your stomach produces by itself is really akin to battery acid. I mean, it's real acid. You put it on metal, it will eat it away. The acid in a tomato is not much acid comparatively, and it's not going to bother your stomach. Now, there are foods, spicy foods especially, that when you eat them, you might have more acid reflux, but that's not an ulcer because ulcers are caused by a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori, H. pylori, and that's what causes ulcers. It's not the foods you eat. Now, stress will make you have more acid. Fatty foods will make you have more acid. Spicy foods, but you're going to have acid reflux from that, not develop an ulcer. Poinsettias are not toxic. Everybody thinks they are, especially to dogs. You've, if you've ever had a poinsettia in a dog, you've set it up on the counter so the dog couldn't get to it because everybody has always said that poinsettias are toxic, and it turns out they're just not. There's no definitive case that's ever been shown of a person having a bad outcome from being exposed in any way to a poinsettia plant, nor has there been for dogs that have had any bad outcome because of poinsettias. This all started back in the early 1900s. It's amazing how long these myths last. Back in the early 1900s, a two-year-old in Hawaii was supposed to have died 
from ingesting parts of the plant, but it was never confirmed. Cause of death was never confirmed. It was just a myth that started to spread like coronavirus across the world, and people started to believe it. And John, you'll be very glad to know that I have in my hand the last myth. <laughs> so, feel like Karnak on the Johnny Carson show. Over here. Yeah, both of us are old enough to remember and, that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, me and you, buddy, me yeah. and you. Yep. Chicken noodle soup cures everything. Now, when I was looking all this stuff up, they said chicken noodle soup doesn't cure everything. Um, most everybody's heard that, but it really doesn't. I mean, the hot broth and the veggies and all that kind of thing are a, a fantastic comfort. But I'm going to tell you right now, Peggy Mara's chicken noodle soup cures everything. I don't care what this says. Peggy Mara's chicken noodle soup will knock it out of the park. If you're sick and you eat her soup, you will be well. I can tell you that right now. I'll tell you that from experience. Too many times for it not to be true. John, that's what I got on medical myths. You'll be able to go home tonight. So that's awesome, man. That's, that's <laughs> you, right. You read my mind. I know. Except one of the problems, though, is that you're going to make a bunch of people's mamas mad at them when they go tell what you just, some of the things you just told, right? Well, hopefully they'll get mad at the teller and not me. <laughs> That's why I said you got to decide for yourself if you're going to go home and tell your mom all this stuff. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of it came from there, no question. A lot of it did. So what, what – I mean, there's a whole lot here to unpack uh, and several individual things I could ask a question on, but wh why why is it do, that we believe these myths? I mean, what what's – and how can we avoid – other than coming to see you and getting schooled on this stuff, how how can we avoid believing some of this stuff that's just plain not so? Well, for starters, everybody should come see me and get schooled on this stuff. Of course. That's just the way it is. Of course. But really, it's, it starts because somebody said it and somebody told somebody else. It's just like the idea that you don't need to wear a mask. You know, somebody said you don't need to wear a mask, and somebody believed it and repeated it to somebody else, and it became dogma. But you do. But especially when these things started in the early 1900s, we didn't have scientific studies and that kind of thing to any extent at all then. So people said it. They saw somebody that, um, I can't think of an example right at the moment, but they saw somebody that, that was in that same situation and had the same thing happen. And so that's cause and effect to them. And that's where you get into a problem like the vaccine study with autism. Eight children got all, ended up being autistic. You're autistic from birth. That's not something that happens after the fact. But they had these children, and you get a vaccine at a very young age before you make that diagnosis, and they end up being autistic. And if it happens eight times, some people would think, well, that's, that's causing that. But that's why you have to do these studies with ridiculous numbers like 530,000 children in the study so you can prove that that's not the case. Mm. But I think it's just word of mouth. And, and, these, and that's early in the early 1900s. The reason today is because you see it on Facebook and everything on Facebook is true. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Everything's true on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, so. if it's on Facebook, it's got to be true, right? I mean, why, how would it get on Facebook if it wasn't true? Got to be true. Well, the thing, my head. <laughs> yeah, it does. for sure. Well, I think, you know, we're, as a society, we have a pretty low trust level right now. 
and I was with somebody in a very true. Yeah, I was with a, in somebody in a parking lot, um, who didn't have a mask on. He, we were just chit chatting, and I didn't. I had mine on, but I didn't shame him. And uh, we were talking about the current environment. And he says, "I just don't know what to believe anymore, and I don't know who to believe." And I said, "Well, go see Doctor Jim Morrow. You must not be a patient." <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully you got a new patient. We'll see. <laughs> Absolutely should be. Yeah. Don't believe the politicians. Just believe Dr. Jim Morrow because he needs on the case. And and what I tell people doesn't come from me. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm still listening to you know six or eight hours of podcast every week from scientists who are reporting the latest studies and so forth. And that's where I'm getting my information. And and I will I will throw out I did this the other day in an episode but I'll throw it out again if you're interested in information about the coronavirus tune in to this week in virology twelve it's a phenomenal podcast with some great scientists on it talking real facts and it would be very interesting to anybody that's interested in coronavirus. Well, you just answered the first question I asked is how to avoid these myths and, and, and that's get schooled by you because what people don't understand about you is the homework you do behind the scenes to keep up with what's going on. And, you know, and that is more than just Googling something. I mean, it's doing some real hard work and, and knowing that things change over time. We're talking about science. It changes as, as new discoveries are made. It does change, and it's never changed more rapidly for me in my career than it has dealing with this coronavirus. And some people see that as us, quote, changing our mind. But we're not changing our mind. We're learning. And some of what we learned this week is that what we thought we knew a month ago was wrong. So it is a, it is quite a process. Well, you know, when you were a kid and put your – hand on the kitchen stove and burned it, you know, changing your mind is not putting it back on the stove, right? Again, <laughs> I right. mean, so what's Absolutely. so wrong with changing your mind? Oh, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Logan. Anyway, but, uh, well, happy birthday again, pal. You're the best. It's a pleasure to work with you. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. And I appreciate everyone listening I want to thank John Ray with North Fulton Radio, North Fulton Business Radio X, uh, for producing the podcast, for talking me into doing it in the first place. I want to thank Steve Watson for the entry music. I want to thank my mother and father for the birthday, and I hope everybody takes care. And so that's to your help.